We are in week two of a sermon series that we started last week called Keep It Weird, all right? It's a, it's a sermon series about relationships and marriage and dating, and so I'm excited to dive in today. Do you guys remember the first time you fell in love? Anybody remember? Remember that first person that you just like so fell in love with? Um, I, remember, I remember the first person I, I, I fell in love with. It was really serious. It was really intense. I was five years old. Um, she was six, okay? Um, I know, older women, hey, don't hate the player, hate the game, all right? Um, and, uh, you know, it was like, you know, was, oh, I just love her so much. It didn't work out for very long because she was my cousin, all right? So it, it didn't last long. But, um, but relationships are hard, right? Relationships are hard. They're difficult, they're challenging, they're beautiful, but they're hard. And I just thought, I, I was doing a little research this week and I just came across a couple uh, breakup letters f- uh, from kids. All right, this is hilarious. Look, uh, the internet's actually filled with these letters, but I gotta just read them. This one says, Dear Ashley, would you please be my girlfriend? Um, I like you a lot. And then, you know, he gave her yes, no, and maybe. And he said, please put yes, no, or maybe. And it looks like, it looks like she, we don't know her name, but she circled no, and here's what she says. I'm sorry, I already have a boyfriend, Kyle, but when we break up, you're my next choice. <laughs> and then she adds, P.S., that will probably be a month or two. <laughs> Let's look at the next one. This was fun. This is from uh, uh, Deland- Delandrin. He says, uh, Delandrin to Crystal. He says, I'm breaking up with you. P.S. Happy anniversary, though. <laughs> one, one month, one month. And then little words at the bottom. It says, um, it's really hard to do this. <laughs> oh, that was brutal, Delandrin. All right, last one. I love this one. Dear Keenan. She says, I'm sorry, we have to break up. You always try to make me laugh, but you're just making yourself look bad. (laughs) We're over, for real. Love crossed out from Stevie. (laughs) I love the, like, love crossed out from Stevie. Relationships are hard, right? No matter how old you are. Um, they're difficult, they're challenging. That's why we're talking about it over this sermon series. Um, because here's what we said last week. We said last week that Jesus, Jesus invites us into living a very weird kind of life. Okay, that's why it's called keep it weird. You know how they say keep Austin weird? You know how they say keep Portland weird? Um, well, Christians through the centuries have been keeping Christianity weird. And that's a good thing. And Christians throughout the centuries have not only been keeping Christianity weird, but they've been keeping what, what God has to say about marriage, relationships, sex, dating, singleness. Christians have been keeping those things weird too. And that's good. That's a good thing. And we just want to, sometimes we lose sight of how weird and strange the Bible sort of asks us to, 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 to enter into the sort of the weirdness of what it looks like to be a Christ follower and to engage in marriage and relationships and all that. We lose sight of it because our culture, culture likes to pull us into things and we, we, like to, we don't like to be weird and so we like to be normal. But here's why it's good that Christianity is weird and why we need to keep it weird is that we can look around all of us at our culture and we can acknowledge that normal isn't working. Normal isn't working. When we look at what's normal in our culture, we see, what do we see? We see divorce. Divorce. Right now, 41% is the statistic. 41% of all marriages end up in divorce. 
and it's continuing to rise. So in not too long, not too long, it's gonna be over 50% and divorce now is sadly normal. It's normal to approach marriage sort of, you know, if this doesn't work out, it's okay because I'll get another shot at it or maybe two more shots at it. See, that's normal and we look at that and we just know that normal isn't working. Um, normal, you know, normal in, uh, in finances is debt, you know, month to month. Normal in um, relationships, you know, normal just in everyday life is depression, anxiety, just worried about the future. Um, that, all that stuff is normal. And we look at all that sort of stuff in our culture, we could say, normal isn't working. And so here comes Jesus, and he says, no, I want to invite you into a weird way of living. I want, you to, I want to invite you to walk the, the narrow path, leave the wide path, and get on the narrow path, because even though the narrow path is harder, it's better. Weirder is harder, but it's better. But it's better, but it's better. Um, as I said last week, as I said this, is to fall in love, all you need is a pulse, but... <laughs> If we want to do this well, then you've got to have a plan. You've got to go way beyond just fall in love. Anybody can fall in love. All you need is a pulse to fall in love. But in order to do this well, then we've got to have a plan. We've got to have a plan. And so what's God's plan for relationships? And so we're looking at those things. If you're here today and you're married, um, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to challenge you this morning. Um, I want to be helpful to you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're single in the room... Here's what you got to know, and, you know, we'll, we'll take a whole week and sort of talk about this. I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after, but um, what you got to know from, from my perspective, one of my, one of my uh, convictions and one of my passions, actually, is, is I want to sort of reverse what we've often done in church world where we have made God's, or where we've made marriage God's plan A for your life and singleness God's plan B for your life. We've, we tend to do that. We highly esteem marriage, and we should always highly esteem marriage. But unintentionally, when we highly esteem marriage, all the single people feel like that they can't be complete or whole or a whole human being unless they're married. And so marriage becomes the ultimate goal. And what we forget is that the Bible has a lot of beautiful, wonderful things to say about singleness. Paul, he has some beautiful, wonderful things to say about singleness. Jesus was a single guy. We worship a single guy. And he's the epitome of what it means to be a human being. So we don't believe that singles are subhuman. We don't believe that singles, in order for them to find a real place in the church, that they gotta get married. No, 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 singleness is a beautiful season of life to be. And if you're single here this morning, then I hope that some of the things maybe that you'll hear this morning are, are fuel for you. If you're moving ahead and you're gonna, you're gonna get married someday, that's a beautiful thing. Maybe some things you'll hear today are things that, that some married people in the room are thinking, man, I wish I would've heard that when I was single. Or maybe you're not going to get married someday. Maybe you're going to sort of stay in a place of singleness. Then maybe, you know, some of the things today are still going to apply to you and lots of different relationships that you have. Um, but uh, I'm glad we're all here today. Uh, today, we're going to look at some of the biggest pitfalls of, of what happens when, we, when we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And uh, what, what are some natural places that we look in order to try to find ourselves and find love? And then, and then I want to show you this verse. Jesus, in this, in this verse, two verses actually, where Jesus is going to define love for us in a way that maybe you've never heard it defined before. Maybe the way that Jesus defines love for you this morning is going to be a game changer. 
So that's what we'll look at. So uh, number one, one of the things that we look to all the time uh, to think that we're going to find our, our life there is this. Number one is we would say, I'm just looking for the right person. I'm just looking for the right person, the mythical unicorn of the right person. And the, the idea goes, if I just find the one, the one, the one, is she the one? I don't know. Are you the one? I don't know. If I just find the one, if I can just find the one, then all will be right. I'll be fixed. Everything will be great. And, you know, we're just going to be so connected and, you know, the, the one. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Man, you, we just, man, you, you must be the one. You just finished my sentence. Oh, my gosh. It was meant to be. Oh, wow. I found the one. And we just have this idea in our culture. In fact, no culture ever in the history of humanity has put more emphasis on finding the right person, finding the one. No culture has put more emphasis on that than we have. In modern day westernized world, it's become the thing that we need to have an identity, to find a purpose, to be whole. There's never been a society that's put more emphasis on it. Um, here's one theologian, um, <coughs> Dean Martin. Here's what he says. He says, he says, you're nobody till somebody loves you. Come on. I'm here all week. You're nobody till somebody cares. And then what does he say? What's the song go? He goes, you may be king. You may possess the world and its gold, but gold won't bring you happiness when you're old. The world still is the same. You never change it as sure as the stars shine above you're nobody till somebody loves you. So find yourself somebody to love. That's a, that's a philosophy. It's not just a song. It's a, it's a way of living. I cannot be someone unless I find someone to love. I'm nobody unless someone, unless I found the one. Um, Ernest Becker, I've used this illustration before, but Ernest Becker was a a Pulitzer Prize winner, a winning author in 1974, and he wrote this book called The Denial of Death. And he's got a really interesting hypothesis. Uh, Ernest Becker believes that, that because sort of, um, of our society was built on, you know, this, this sort of understanding of God and, you know, he created us, but through the Industrial Revolution and, you know, just through these last... 400, four or 500 years, sort of that belief that there's this God out there has crumbled and crumbled um, and been replaced by other things. And Ernest Becker, his hypothesis, and I think it's brilliant, he says that when once human beings looked to God to try to find their place in the world, when, when, when God sort of, when the idea of God sort of gets it's crumbled and put away, then we need to replace it with something. And so what we in our culture have replaced it with is the love partner. He calls it the romantic solution. We got a problem. God's, you know, we don't know if God's real now. And so, but we need to still find our identity in something. Where do we look? We look to the other. We look to this other person who's going to fill us and satisfy us. Here's what he says. Kind of a long quote, but it's so good. Um, he says this. We can now, or we can see how modern man edged himself into an impossible situation. He still needed to feel heroic to know that his life mattered in the scheme of things. Also, he still had to merge himself with some higher self-absorbing meaning. If he no longer had God, how was he to do this? One of the first ways that occurred to him was the romantic solution. 
He fixed his urge for cosmic heroism onto another person in the form of a love object. The self-glorification that he needed in his innermost nature, he now looked for in the love partner. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. When you confuse personal love and cosmic heroism, you are bound to fail in both spheres. This double failure is what produces the sense of utter despair that we see in modern man. I love this line. It's impossible to get blood from a stone, to get spirituality from a physical being, and so one feels inferior, that his life has somehow not succeeded, that he has not realized his true gifts, and so on. For this reason, too, we often attack loved ones and try to bring them down to size. We see that our gods have clay feet, and so we must hack away at them in order to save ourselves. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know that our creation has not been in vain. We turn to the love partner for the experience of the heroic, for perfect validation. We expect them to make us good through love. Needless to say, human partners can't do this. Can't do this. <clears throat> so we believe often that if I just find the one, if I just find the right person, then it's going to be a whole new world, a magical place I never knew. But it is the place that you know because you're still in the same place because you're still you. And you think that you found this other, other person that's going to fulfill you and make you whole and make you right. But really, really, it's still just you. And you're still bringing all your same stuff and all your same problems into the relationship. And finding this right person, this other person, is never going to fix the problem. And here's, unfortunately, unfortunately, because we believe this so much, there's so many married people. In fact, there perhaps are even married people in this room. You're married and you're still looking for the right person. You're married and you believe that this person that I married, man, why is this so difficult? If I would have just found the one, if I would have just found the right person, then man, this wouldn't be so hard. This wouldn't be so challenging. We would finish each other's sandwiches and everything would be fine. You know where that leads? It just leads to trying to find the one, try to find the one, try to find the one. Stanley Hauervoss, one of my favorite authors, Here's his quote, and I quote it all the time because it is so delicious. Here's what it says. He says this, destructive to marriage, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes that marriage and the family are primary institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if I just look closely enough, we'll find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. <laughs> All the married people are just giggling right now. It's so true. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we're not the same person after we've entered it. 
The primary challenge of marriage, get this, listen, is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Wow. There, move that. That's deep. Thank you, Stanley. Number two, maybe you say, oh, you know, I'm just not looking, I'm not looking for the right person. You know what I'm looking for is I'm looking for chemistry and passion. Chemistry and passion. That's what I'm looking for. And there is nothing wrong with chemistry and passion. Chemistry and passion are awesome and amazing and good. But here's what we have to understand is that when you first meet someone, when you first sort of fall in love, what happens is you are literally high on drugs. You are high on drugs. You've got, you've got dopamine going through your body. You've got norepinephrine going through. And together those chemicals produce these feelings of elation. What else happens? And they've done tons of studies on this. Your serotonin levels drop so that you can stay, so you don't need as much sleep. You stay up later and later. You're super focused. Did you ever do the thing where you were in middle school or high school where you're just like, it's one in the morning and you're on the phone with someone and it's like, you're just listening to each other breathe. Are you still awake? Yeah, I'm still awake. Are you still awake? Yeah, I'm still awake, baby. <sighs> what is so weird, right? You could just stay up and you know, and like you're like calling in sick to work because you don't want to work. You want to like, you just want to be with that person. You're high on drugs. God created us that way. He created us to have these intense emotions and feelings and these chemicals going through, and all those things are good. Um, but uh, here's what we have to acknowledge is that when you first fall in love, what you might actually be falling in love with is the feeling, not necessarily the person. And so here's another, here's another uh, uh, theologian, Tom Jones. Let's see what Tom Jones has to say. He says, he says, I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girls, you just don't realize what you do to me. You see where this is going? When you hold me. In your arms so tight, you let me know everything's all right. Cause I'm, I'm. Yeah, that's the West Side Choir right there. Good job, everybody. Yeah, I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. Right? Even Tom Jones knows, right? He knows. He knows that when you fall in love, you're, you're hooked on a feeling. It's passion. So listen, listen. Just let this drop wherever it needs to drop. But listen, is a lot of times, sometimes, when we're in relationships, um, we trick ourselves into desiring the passion instead of the person. We trick ourselves into desiring the passion instead of the person. Now, I hope you desire passion. That's, that's great. That's great. But can you see the danger, the huge danger in falling in love with the passion and the chemistry and having it not connected to the person? Because you know what happens, right? You, get, you have those levels really high in your bloodstream and those last for a period of time, but then those, those feelings and those chemicals, they, they, they drop away. And in your marriage, I'm gonna to talk to you married people because you know exactly what I'm talking about. In your marriage, your marriage is gonna experience seasons and, and, you know, and, and breaths of that passion and chemistry, but, but you don't have that sort of, you know, that feeling all the way through every single day of your married life. And that's okay because God replaces it with something so much better. He replaces it with something even so much more beautiful. And you get waves of it, but it's not enduring. And do you know why it's not enduring? It's because God created you, and you can't live like that, high on drugs, for all the time. It would fry your brain. God knows that at some point, you got to go back to work. 
God knows you need some sleep. And so, you know, those, those feelings, but can you see that if you just believe that the, this relationship is a real good relationship, if it's always got that passion and always got that chemistry, guess, when, guess what's going to happen? Is that chemistry and that passion is going to fade. It's going to sort of diminish and it's going to, you got to give it time to change into something more beautiful and better. But if you don't realize that, then you're going to be so frustrated with the person that you married. You're going to start pointing the finger at them, blaming them. You're going to go looking somewhere else. Oh, and you can find it everywhere. You can find chemistry and passion everywhere. Because remember what I said earlier? All you need is a pulse to fall in love. And unfortunately, that ruins tons and tons of married, or marriages. Because they didn't, they, you just don't realize. It's hard to know when you're in the moment. If you are truly in love with the experience of passion and chemistry, or with the person. But man, when those two things come together, oh, look out. That's what God wants for us. Number three, you might, you might be saying, I'm not looking for the right person. It's not about chemistry. And, you know, it's not about, I'm just looking for love. I'm just looking for love. And what's wrong with looking for love? Love is good. Love lifts us up where we belong. Love is a very splendor thing. All you need is love, we would say. Love, love is so good. And love is good. Um, the problem is that our culture has done such a great job, and Hollywood has taught us so well. We have been evangelized completely by Hollywood and you know, television shows. We believe that love is a feeling. We define love as a feeling. And if love is a feeling, then you're in trouble then you're in trouble. That's why we, we use words. Because I don't know about you, but my feelings, my feelings um, go like this. Does anybody, anybody with me? Come on, I need just like an amen from the group here. Okay? The rest of you are liars, okay? If you don't believe that your emotions and feelings just sort of go like this. And so this is why we use the phrase like, oh, I, I just fell in love. I just fell into it like, a, like in a ditch, you know? It's like I didn't even see it coming, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't control it. Like, oh, I fell in love. I'm in love. And, you know, if, if that really is how love is, if you're just like sort of like, you know, Cupid flies over and, you know, just like, you know, and, oh, I'm in love, and I just couldn't control it. It just happened. If that's what love is, if it's just this thing that sort of flies in and flies out, then you know what happens, right? Because if you can fall in love, guess what you can do just like that? Oh, we fell out of love. We just sort of fell out of it. I mean, it wasn't even like I tried, but it's just like we just fell out. What, you, what are you supposed to do when you fall out of love? I mean, there's nothing you can do, right? That's what our culture believes. You know, if you can fall into love, then, man, of course, you just fall right out of love. So those are the three things that we often look to to try to just define our relationships. And if you let any of those three, th three things be the thing that you're looking for to try to give you hope, give you, give you an identity, give you purpose, then you're going to follow a failed formula. And this failed formula is typical and this failed formula is something that we've all, you know, if we could tell our stories, a lot of us have followed this failed formula. But you look around our culture and you'll see this failed formula. Here's what it is. Here's this, for, it's a, you know, a couple steps, couple step formula. Here we go. Is number one, find the right person. 
Step one, find the right person. Number two, get all the feels. All right? Just experience all the feelings. Number three, fall in love. Number four, be content and happy and fulfilled and fixed forever. Okay? And then step five, if failure occurs, repeat steps one through four. This is the failed formula. I'm just going to find the one. I'm going to get the feelings. And then everything's going to be happy and wonderful and unicorns and skittles and rainbows. And everything's going to be great. And there's going to be no problems because that's what it seems like in the movies. And that's what happens on television shows. And, and then if it doesn't work out for us, what do we do? We just start over with another person. We start, we, we try this, we try this, we try this. And it's a failed, failed formula that leaves destruction in its wake. So you might be asking, all right, what's the answer then, smarty pants? Um, I am really glad you asked. I'll tell you, but don't call me smarty pants, okay? Here we go. Um, what's the answer? Well, here comes Jesus. Man, here comes Jesus. Listen, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. He loves us. Jesus, he cares about you. He cares about you single people. He cares about you married people. You care, he cares about you, you know, whatever, in between people, like wherever you're at. He cares about you. He loves you. So he wants you to know the truth about what love is, what true love is, how we can do this well. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, he's talking with a group of disciples like this. They're very similar to us. They probably had a lot of conceptions from their culture about what love is and what love isn't. And Jesus is about to tell them what love is. And he defines it in a way that maybe you've never heard it defined before. But here's what Jesus says. Check it out. He says in John chapter 13, he says, A new feeling I give you. Love one another. I made that up, okay? That's not what he said. All right, here's what he actually said. He said, a new emotion I give you. Love, one I lied to you again. I'm sorry. That's not what he said. Here, here's another. Here's, here's actually what he said. A new tickly sensation I give you. He didn't say any of those things. Jesus, when he's defining love, he's not defining it as a feeling. He's not defining it as an emotion, although those are aspects of, of love, important aspects. He doesn't define it as a tickly sensation. You know what he says? I'm telling you the truth now. Okay, here it is. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love is a command? Wait a minute. If love is an emotion, that doesn't work because you can't command an emotion, can you? You can't command an emotion. I try that with my kids all the time. I'm like, stop crying. And like, okay, I'll stop crying. Stop it. They try to hold it in even more, and it just doesn't work. You can't, you can't command an emotion. You can't say, love me. You can't say, feel this. It's just life doesn't work that way. And that's because... Jesus knows that love, what the kind of love he's trying to help us understand is not just an emotion. That's, that's why he can command it. Because what we know is that it's, it's more than a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision to love. 
And how are we supposed to make this decision? How, what kind of, how are we supposed to express it? Well, he tells us. He goes on. He defines it. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, here's how I want you to love each other. As I have loved you, so you must, there's that command word again, you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. It's a decision. It's a command. I love my kids. I really love my kids. And what I discovered is when I became a dad, I became, with, with Jeremiah, our first, I became a really, really good actor. I became a really good, I didn't know I had the acting chops that I had because at two in the morning when the baby starts crying and needs a diaper change, I became really good at pretending like I was still asleep. All right, anybody? Or, oh, it's just me? Oh man, I'm embarrassed now. You know, it'd be like baby's crying and I'm like, you know, it's, Christy's like, like Brooks, the baby needs to change. And I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, why? Oh, God, uh, just, oh. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, sleep. Uh, sweet, sweet rest. Uh. But you know what I did? You know what, what good dads do, right? You get up and you change the diaper. And when I get up and change the diaper, am I like super stoked and enthused and jazzed about changing the diaper? Everybody say no. I do not want to change this diaper, right? I am not getting up out of bed like, yes, Lord, yes. Thanks, Christy. I would love to change this diaper. Let's go, you know? We're just like, woo, diaper time, two in the morning. I love it. I'm feeling it. Thank you, Jeremiah. What a blessing. No, right? I don't feel it. I don't feel like, like serving in that moment. But what do you do with your kids? You know, there's all sorts of feelings of love and everything. But, you know, when you love your kids, it's, it's like it doesn't have all the, like, emotions necessarily attached to it all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a choice. It's a duty. It's a decision. Right? You just do it. Even if you don't feel like you want to, you, you decide to. Okay? Listen, listen. I think often in marriages, we are loving our kids in a way that really we should be loving our spouses in the same way. Do you see what I mean? I think in some marriages we love our kids more than we love our ch each other because when we love our kids, we love our kids with this emotion plus this decision and duty and I, even if I'm not feeling it, I'm going to do it because this is what we do. But when it comes to our spouses, we feel like, oh no, it's got to have the emotion attached to it. It's got to have all the feels attached to it. If it doesn't have all the feels attached to it, then this, then this might not be the one. I feel like that happens all the time. And how are we supposed to love each other? We love each other how Christ loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Think. We could just, we could just spend days. We could spend days here today just just talking about all the ways that Jesus loves us. 
And Jesus loved us with emotion. He did. It's one of the things that we love about Jesus. When, it, when you read the New Testament and when you read the Gospels, you see this Jesus and he's not this robot, you know? He's, he's not this sort of just like angelic, like, you know, kind of, I mean, he's, he's a real person with real emotions and he, and he feels anger. He feels, he feels compassion. You know, we just love seeing Jesus walk and talk with people because you can, he's this, he's God in the flesh. He's a human being and he's walking around with all these emotions. But do you think Jesus loved us all the time with all the emotions attached to it? Do you think Jesus went to the cross just like, woohoo? You know how we know that he didn't do that? Is because we see Jesus praying in the garden the night before he goes to the cross. And he's saying, God, if there's any way for this cup to be passed, if there's any other way, and he's sweating and he's. And he went to the cross because he loved us. But that love wasn't this emotion, sort of, you know, charged sort of a love. No, it was, a, it was just a deep, deep, I'm going to, ch I choose to love. They, didn't des they don't deserve it. <laughs> They've done nothing to deserve this kind of sacrificial love. But I'm going to go first. I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to do it. That's how Jesus loved us. And it's humbling. It is so humbling. It should be humbling for our marriages. Because I think Jesus would be a, such a hilarious marriage counselor. He would be a hilarious marriage counselor. Because we would go to Jesus and with our marriages and be like, Jesus, we've lost that love and feeling. Come on, Lord. Oh, that love and feeling. Can't you see us right here? We've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. And we can't go on. West Side Choir, you're doing it today. I love it. We would go to Jesus and we'd say, Jesus, we've lost that love and feeling. And so what are we supposed to do? And Jesus would look at us and he'd say, you've, you've lost that love and feeling? You've lost that loving feeling? Wait, I... You're supposed to love each other as I have loved you. In fact, I'm not just, I'm not just asking you to. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command to love each other as I have loved you. Um, two things real quick. Your action steps. What does this mean? Jesus loved us in all sort of ways, but one of the ways that he shows us his love is that Jesus made the first move. We're about to celebrate Christmas soon. And it's the story of God coming and making the first move. Jesus made the first move. Hey, husbands in the room. Husbands. You know, one of the ways that you can love your wives so much better right now, and I'm preaching to myself right now, is don't wait. Don't wait for her to make the first move. You love, you're gonna, you choose to love your wife as Christ loved you, one of the ways that Jesus loved you is he took the first step. He took the first move. When we weren't moving in his direction, he moved in our direction. And so take the first step. Take the first step. Make the first move. We make the first move because Jesus made the first move with us. And then do you know what's beautiful? You know what's so beautiful about how God made us? This is actually so, this is a whole nother sermon. <laughs> but you know what's so cool about how God made us? is that emotion follows motion. That's how it works. 
It's, it's, it's like, it's a miracle. It's weird. Emotion follows motion. Meaning that when you're not feeling it sometimes, sometimes what you've got to do is you, you just take the first step. You're like, hey, I'm going to serve. I'm going to bless. I'm going to, I'm going to help. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come your way. And even though I'm not, maybe not feeling all the feels right now, all the emotions, I'm going to step your way. I'm going to come your way. And when we do that, when we do that, here's one of the beautiful things that happens is that emotion will follow the motion. We're waiting for the emotion to lead the motion. But God didn't, not, God didn't make, it, make it that way. He made it so that we take the first step and then emotion follows. Emotion follows when you make that first step, that first step. Sometimes, sometimes Christy, she's like, hey, you know, we're, we're talking together and it's like, hey, we need a date night. We haven't been out in a while. And it's like, all right, let's do it. Let's plan it. And so we plan it for, you know, a Monday night or a Tuesday night and get somebody to watch the kids. And, but Tuesday comes and I'm tired. I'm tired. And, I, you know, and I love being with my wife, but I'm just like, man, I would kind of just love to, like, just come home and just get the kids to bed as quick as possible. And just, uh, you know, I'm not like, I don't necessarily know if I feel like it. But, you know, you say, you know, we're going to go. We're going to do it. And guess what? You get all dressed up. You know, I put on a nice shirt. You start feeling like it. Isn't that interesting? Then you're like heading to the restaurant. You're looking at the menu. And it's like, now I'm feeling. Now suddenly you just realize that the emotions follow the motion. Take the first step. Jesus took the first step with you and with me. I want to close us with an illustration. And, uh, and it's an illustration that's been really, really helpful to me. And I hope it's helpful to you. But, um, you know, the Bible talks about us, you and I, being like a vessel, you know, like a, like a cup. Um, that we are made not to sort of find our own identity in things in this world, but we're made to sort of be given an identity from our creator, from our father in heaven who knows us and loves us. And so we're, we're a vessel and we need to be filled. We need to be filled. And what I discovered and what I'm still discovering about myself is that in my marriage, especially at the very beginning, I knew I was a vessel, but instead of being positioned this way, I was positioned this way. I was just in the, I was in the wrong position. And still to this day, sometimes I find myself in this position. And the problem with this position is that I get filled by God and relationships. And then, and then here's my wife. And the thing is, is she's She's a vessel too, but she's in the wrong position. She's in this position too. And then here's what our relationship looks like. And I'm constantly just like expecting her to fill me and fill me and fill me. And you know what she's doing at the same time? Oh, well, she thinks, man, Brooks, he, man, he, he's supposed to be making me happy. Why aren't I happy? And so we're in this position like this. And do you know what this becomes? Exhausting. This is a bottomless pit. You will never be fulfilled. You will never be full. Why? Because you're expecting the other person to do all this stuff for you. You're just walking around like, why am I tired? Why am I frustrated? What? And then we blame each other. Why are you not doing this? And why are you not doing this? And we just walk around like this. And this is normal. This is normal. And what Jesus is inviting us to do is he's saying, listen, you live your life like this, trying to find the one, trying to, you know, expecting that you're just going to be fulfilled by all the chemistry and the passion and, you know, the feelings of love. He goes, it's, it's going to be, it's going to drain you. It's going to kill you. It's going to leave you more empty than ever. 
And what God wants us to do is he wants it to look more like this. As I, as I start to realize that this other person can't fulfill me, they are not my source. See, the Bible doesn't say that the joy of my spouse is my strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when I realize that and when I position myself so that I say, God, I'm looking to you. I find my identity in you. I find my hope in you and what you say I am and who you say I am. And when we do that, guess what happens? Is he fills us and he fills us and he fills us. And what happens? Out of the overflow of our lives, now suddenly I have something to offer. I have something to give. And can you imagine two people in a relationship, both positioned up saying, God, we find our significance in you and God's filling and it's overflowing and it's overflowing and it's overflowing. In this way, the spouse isn't the source. Now the spouse gets to be a resource because we're looking to the right place because we're not looking for love in all the wrong places because we're looking to our King that knows us and loves us. How do you live like this, everybody? Listen, you need the gospel to root in your heart. You need to see that God loves you, he cares for you, that he has made you his treasure, regardless of your past, regardless of whatever you've done. He gives you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You are no longer a slave, you are a child and an heir. You are a son and a daughter of the most high God. And when you let that sink in and sink in, suddenly you find yourself repositioning. You find yourself being in a place where you're no longer expecting everything else and everybody else to do what only God can do. Will you have the courage to look to God for who you are? And when you do that, guess what? Then that command to love others as God loved us, it doesn't become a burden and it becomes an overflow of your life. Can we, can you receive that this morning? Can we do this this morning? Do you have the courage to do this?